You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com Podcast Network. You're listening to DolphinsTalk.com Daily, the most listened to daily Miami Dolphins podcast on the internet. Come on, Dolphins fans. Time to fins up. Miami's got the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. Good evening, Miami Dolphins fans. How are you today? And thank you for listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast on this Thursday, February the 2nd. I am your host, Michael Leva. Joined... By one half of the same old dolphin show, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. <laughs> yes. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the world of the Miami Dolphins. It has been absolutely insane, probably since Sunday. And we're going to break down everything. We got so much news to talk about regarding Vic Fangio or Vic Fangio. I always say that name wrong. Vic Fangio. People get mad. I say Fangio. It's Fangio. Vic Fangio, we have news about the offensive line coach, Matt Applebaum was fired, and some other tidbits as well. But first, as always, before we get to any of that, a big shout-out to everyone watching and listening at finheaven.com. Everyone go to finheaven.com, the largest Miami Dolphins message board on the internet. Also, a big shout-out to our friends at the I Am a Miami Dolphins fan Facebook group run by the great and talented Carlos Hernandez. If you're on Facebook, please be a part of the I Am a Miami Dolphins fan Facebook group. A shout-out to all of you watching and listening on the Dolphin Stock YouTube channel. Please be sure to smash that like button, hit the subscribe button as well, and also hit the alert bell so when we go live like this, you can interact with us here in the chat. And two other tidbits first. Number one, if you want to throw a touchdown pass to Tyree Kill, it's going to be happening in May. Uh, we have all the information up on our website, dolphinstalk.com. It's a little pricey, but it is tax deductible. If you want an opportunity to meet Tyree Kill, get some FaceTime with him, throw him a pass, there will be a professional photographer there taking a picture of you and Tyreek, and they're going to blow it up to 16 by 20, going to autograph it, and there's also some free food. There's going to be some music. It's a nice event with some with the money going to charity. So if you're interested in meeting and um, having a moment with Tyreek Hill that is captured and autographed, go to the website dolphinstalk.com. And, Aaron, I would be remiss if I didn't mention congratulations to our very own Tom Ernesty, who last week had the birth of his son, Luca Ernesty. So congratulations, Tom, on the birth of your son. And we're all very happy for you that everyone's happy and healthy and safe. So congratulations, Tom. Mazel tov. So Aaron, yeah, so exactly. So Aaron, here's the deal. The Vic Fangio is a story that's been in the, fan, <laughs> been in the spotlight of Miami Dolphins fans for about a week now. And before I get your thoughts, here's the time frame if you've been living under a rock or just sort of need to be refreshed on the twists and turns of this story. Sunday afternoon, Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network reported Miami had agreed to terms with Vic Fangio to make him the highest-paid defensive coordinator in the league, a three-year deal with a team option for a fourth year. Beautiful. Then Sunday night, Mike Kliss, of the very respected reporter out of Denver said, I spoke to Vic Fangio, the deal's not done. Then, on Monday morning, Mike Silver, 
longtime NFL reporter, also very much respected, said he spoke to Vic Fangio Sunday night, and Fangio, Fangio told him nothing has been decided on his end. So now everyone's like, wait, I thought he agreed to terms. What do you mean nothing decided? Why is he telling people this? Then Tuesday, Josina Anderson of CBS Sports, another very good reporter, said Vic Fangio is expected to talk to the 49ers. So now fans of Dolphins are going nuts. And throughout this whole time, some Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, Andy Slater of Fox Sports 640, they had said, from everything they have heard, Vic Fangio is coming to Miami. Now, maybe he changes his mind, but uh, from everything they've been hearing, nothing has changed. Vic Fangio is coming to Miami, and pretty much everyone calmed the hell down. Um, then Thursday morning, this morning, Adam Schefter of ESPN said, you know, Vic Fangio is coming to Miami. He's agreed to terms. And then Josina Anderson went back and said um, San Francisco was interested, but they want to do a long, drawn-out process where they, you know, meet with multiple people for that spot. And Vic Fangio, after he heard that, pretty much circled back to Miami and said, I agreed to the deal that I probably agreed to last Sunday. <laughs> and so, look, he hasn't signed pen to paper. Per the report, he won't sign after the Super Bowl. But, Aaron, it appears that Stephen Ross broke the bank, got his man for once, and Vic Fangio is going to be the new defensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins. So I guess my question to you is, what does this mean for the Dolphins? Does Fangio by himself with essentially – we know they're going to make tweaks to that side of the ball, add some players and stuff. But essentially with the core of Phillips and Chubb and Wilkins and Baker and Howard, Brandon Jones, Javon Holland, what does this mean for that side of the ball for the Dolphins? And does he alone equate to sort of – fixing a large part of the problems on that side of the ball. I do think so, but without, but with certainty, what he does bring is credibility. And that is the last two years with Josh Boyer uh, as the defensive coordinator or I guess he was the defensive coordinator. Was he the defensive coordinator? He was. Previous, previous to that? I know he was the he defensive was, yeah. coordinator the last year with Flores, but he, was he also the defensive He was the first year as well, but nobody really believed he was involved in everything because everyone gave their credit to Flores until yeah. people didn't like Flores, and then they were like, well, then it must be Josh Boyer doing everything good. <laughs> but what we know is, is there were yes. questions about Josh Boyer. And then, you know, questions about the play calling and – about whether or not he was going to be able to handle things going into the season after what we saw last year where he had play calling duty stripped away from him. And then you'll have people this year, you know, some are saying, well, it's not his fault that the, you know, every cornerback on the roster got hurt. Uh, it's not his fault that they had so many injuries. Um, but then you'll have other people that say, well, yeah, but he did not adjust to what, you know, he did not adjust their defensive scheme to the players that he had on the field. And he became very predictable in certain situations. And there were all these question marks. Well, you can take all the question marks and throw them out the window because one thing that every single high ranking NFL official, any NFL coach, anybody that's followed the NFL over the last 20 or 30 years is going to tell you is that Vic Fangio is one of the best and brightest defensive minds in the game period. End of story. So that means you can't really question. You can question certain little nitpicky things, but at the end of the day, if you've got the best guy 
at what he does or one of the best guys at what he does, then you're not really going to question what he's doing as far as his job, what his scheme is, what he's the way he's calling the plays and the way he's drawing it up and coaching them up. So what does that mean? It means the onus is on the players and it means the onus is on the GM because Vic Fangio is not going to take the fall here. So if the defense underperforms, then we're going to look at specific players. And when you look at specific players, you look at the guy that drafted and signed those specific players. So what this move does is this says, we're done with worrying about whether or not we have the right defensive coordinator. We have the guy here. And he by and I do believe he's going to make a significant difference uh, to this defense even if we didn't make tweaks because you're going to play a lot more zone. You're going to put your, your front four there. You're going to put your four best guys on the defensive line. And instead of telling them to play gap control, you're going to tell them get after the quarterback and we're going to drop seven guys in coverage and we'll blitz here and there. We'll pick our spots, but by and large, we're going to drop a bunch of guys in coverage and we're going to let the four guys up front, Three of those four guys are going to be making a lot of money next year because Bradley Chubb is already on a huge contract. Christian Wilkins is already getting paid. Jalen Phillips is getting a good amount because he was a first round pick, but I guess he's not, you know, not going to make a huge amount of money, but you're still, you've invested a ton on those defensive linemen. Let them do their job and then put a bunch of guys in coverage. Now to run this scheme, at its of you know at its best you're going to need another guy that can play deep safety so i think you're going to need to add another safety i know nobody wants to hear that byron jones could be back i actually think you know i would not be surprised if he brought byron jones back and i don't even think it necessarily be a bad thing to bring byron jones back I think you're on mute. I think you're on mute. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you 100% because you can't complain all year. When's he coming back? When's he coming back? When's he coming back? And then go, well, I don't want him anymore. Screw him. Like, you either want him or you don't. But I think you got it. So I think you got to get another safety. You definitely got to get another linebacker, in my opinion. But outside of that, I mean, yeah, could you, if, if obviously, if you're letting, if you're jettisoning, Byron Jones, you're going to need another cornerback for sure. But outside of that, I mean, could you use an extra pass rusher? Could you use some interior depth? Yeah, you could use some interior depth, but you're you're not you're not like going to go crazy. You're not going to use a huge uh, a super high draft pick on that. You're not going to uh spend a bunch of free agent money on you know, depth on the interior or even on a cornerback, I think. But I think on the defensive side of the ball, if you go out and you bring in a, a deep safety and a linebacker, this defense literally has all of the pieces to be and now has the general in charge of them, that this defense really has all the pieces where there's no excuse. Either the players are good enough or they're not good enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, that side of the ball has so much talent, and we actually saw that in the playoff game versus the Bills. 
to which even with the injuries at corner and all that stuff, the players, the big, the big name guys showed up. Wilkins showed up. Chubb had a big um, play in that game. Phillips showed up. Howard started off the game rough, had the big interception. Holland had an interception. When those guys are put in a position to succeed, and they are big time players. And yeah, maybe we get back each of the Joneses. I mean, we got two Joneses. One is safety, who is a big time player. I think he might in this type of defense, he might be a better fit linebacker actually, or like part time safety, part time linebacker. Either way, he's a weapon that, and plus he can blitz from the safety spot. Even though this isn't a heavy blitz type of scheme, that's a weapon. And then you got the other Jones at corner, who he might be back. I think he. I think there's a good chance he's back. We'll see, but. There's talent on that side of the ball. I think the one thing here with this scheme from Vic Fangio is it's going to be more of a 3-4 than a 4-3. Not that this even matters so much nowadays. Everyone's in nickel and dime so much. It doesn't even matter. But when you when they are in the base, it's going to be more 3-4 concepts and 4-3 concepts for the handful of times you're in that stuff. So from a personnel standpoint, so. yeah, that's what he does. He runs a 3-4 base. I mean, I don't want to get two X's and O's because I always say those types of podcasts put me to sleep when you get so X and O's. He runs a 3-4 base with a secondary that hides his coverages very well, two shells, um, safety, cover two, cover four, cover six, and his front line he does a lot of with 3-4 personnel, 4-3, four, 4-3 three, um, four, three types of formation, but he does it with a 3-4 type of personnel. So it's that's what he does, and it works because this is the copycat scheme that everyone's now doing. Sean Desai, if we would have signed him, same type of scheme. That's why he's like a hot commodity too. And now with Vic Fangio off the board, I expect Sean Desai to get a job here really, really quick because he's like the next best thing. The guy for the Packers, their coordinator last year, learned from Staley of the Chargers who learned from Vic Fangio. So this his coaching tree is starting to spread throughout the league and that this is how you stop these high-powered offenses. And Miami, I think, you know, another nose tackle type, John Jenkins is fine. Raquan Davis is okay. You, you, they could get someone in the middle there to help those guys out if they even – I'm not even sure what John Jenkins' contract status is, but I think he's back I either think, way. I think he's so, a free agent. Okay, either way. Get someone in the middle there. Linebackers, we all know that they cannot let Chris Greer bring the band back together again. If Sam McGuavon – Riley, who's I like Riley, he's fine, but you know, if he's gone, it's not the end of the world. The Elandon Roberts group, like that group, gotta be blown up. I mean, I, there's just no nice way to say it. Like, they need at least one because, once again, you're in dime, you're in nickel so much, you don't need a ton of linebackers, but you gotta have something there because Andrew Van Ginkle most likely is probably gonna be gone. I don't know. Um, Baker, if they want to open up cap space, there's actually an out clause this year if they want to. I don't know what they want to do there. But they need help at linebacker. But if they keep Jones, linebacker, safety, maybe a, like a nose tackle, that's it. Because Agba's not going anywhere. <laughs> you got Phillips and Wilkins and Chubb. Raekwon Davis ain't going nowhere. There's a ton of talent on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and you know who I think is going to benefit the most from this and, and I, not necessarily just specifically Vic Fangio, but just moving to a zone based defense Xavier is, Howard. is Xavier Howard. Yep. Because the guy, and 
my second choice of the guys that they were looking at was actually not Desai. It was Chris Rich, Chris Richard. Chris Richard, yeah. Um, and my thought behind that was, you know, cover three. I feel like, you know, you've got your safety that can roam the middle, the the high center field role, and then you can have your your corners basically play bail technique. And if, you know, and they can even do what Seattle did when Chris Richard was there, which was play a lot of press cover three, where they would press at the line, get physical, and then and then back off. And when I think of Xavier Howard and who he is now at this stage of the year, the guy that comes to my mind is Richard Sherman. Uh, Richard Sherman played extremely well into his 30s in this league as a cornerback, even though he was diminishing in athleticism. And it's because he was playing in his own scheme that allowed him to be physical at the line and then drop back in coverage and use superior instincts, which that is exactly what Xavier Howard has. He's got great instincts. He's got great size for his position and he's got great ball skills, very similar to a guy like Richard Sherman. And look at what Richard Sherman did in all those years in that scheme. Well, this scheme is not the cover three, but it's, it's gonna, it's gonna have similar principles you're not going to be asking Xavier Howard to go play man up without a safety over the top of him hardly ever. And that means you're going to really get the best opportunity for Xavier Howard playing to his strengths, which is going to be reading the quarterback, facing the, the line of scrimmage, daring the quarterback to make a throw and then going after the ball and using those ball skills. The guy has been the one of the best ball hawking defensive backs in league history in his tenure here with the Miami Dolphins. So yeah, has he lost a step and is, is there a little bit of trepidation and do I blame you for being, do I blame any fan for feeling a little iffy about Xavier Howard, especially with the big contract that he just signed? No, I don't blame you. But what I'll say is he played a year riddled with injuries, played through it, struggled mightily at times but i think this this scheme is going to fit him so well that you might see Xavier Howard back to playing at that Xavier Howard level next season and that will go a long way just in its own to making this dolphins defense back in the you know the top half of the league if not you know top 10 even top 5 because you know they're going to bring in some extra pieces as far as like you know, what kind of scheme they're going to run up front, you know, three, four, four, three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even at the, matter. At the, end, at the end of the day, they're going to have their four best guys rushing the pass. Exactly. And you're going to have their, their base is going to be the nickel because you're, yeah. you're well, not going to have three line. Almost every team is. Almost you're, every you're team is. You're not going to have a third linebacker that's playing over Brandon Jones, I don't think. No, no, no. And that's the way this league is. Everyone's in nickel and dime because – Teams just air it out so much as they should. That's what the rules are sort of tilted for. You're in nickel and dime the majority of the time. And, you know, we will get back a guy like Trill Williams next year, I think. Um, he, he could be a nice player for us in, like, a role. I don't expect him to come in and, like, start or anything. Like a nice, So they're going to get guys back who missed this year who will help. And, like I said, the talent, yeah, they need, like, one piece here, one piece there. But the heavy lifting on that side of the ball is done. There's more heavy lifting needed on offense right now 
But on that side of the ball, so Vic Fangio, assuming, you know, he's a man of his word, he signs after the Super Bowl, and this story can be put to bed, and everyone can relax and be happy, because I know for almost all fans, he was the top choice and everyone wanted. From all signs, it sounds like he will be in Miami as a defensive coordinator, and everyone can breathe a deep sigh of relief, as I know many fans were anxious and in panic mode with all these you know, conflicting reports, and I get it, I get it. Everyone, you know, we all want to see this team win, and everyone was excited to get Vic Fangio, and he's here, um, supposedly. Now, before we get to the Apple Bomb news, just two bits of tidbit, two tidbits real quick. And we're not spending a lot of time on quarterbacks because two, here's the deal. I don't care if you love Tua and think he turns water into he turns water into wine, whatever that saying is, or um, or you hate him. He's going to be back next year. Tom Brady retired, you know, and most people think he's gone. I mean, it's for real this time. And the other report is the Miami Dolphins are looking for a radio station in Hawaii to air their games. Now, they wouldn't go through that trouble if they were looking at other quarterbacks. I mean, it's just a radio station, but they are looking for radio stations in Hawaii, and we like to live in the world of reality. So I don't care if you hate Tua. Odds are he's your quarterback in 2023, and we'll see how it goes. And we'll talk about the fifth or option stuff more in the offseason, but that's not for tonight. Um, surprise news today. I think it was a surprise because most people didn't see this coming was the Miami Dolphins fired offensive line coach Matt Applebaum. And Matt Applebaum was in year one as the offensive line coach for the Dolphins. And once again, when it comes to position coaches, reporters, you know, they can watch practice, you know, in season for a few minutes. And nobody really knows what an offensive line coach is doing or if they're good or bad. What I'll say is for the Dolphins, they are now in search of their 10th offensive line coach in nine years. And that has to be a record. It just seems like if you come in to be an offensive line coach for the Dolphins, rent, don't buy, because you ain't going to be here long. You know, the one guy with Flores lasted two practices before he was fired. They just go through offensive line coaches like socks. Here today, gone later today. And Matt Applebaum, again, I don't know. And it sounds like this um, he was let go last week because per – Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. They have already interviewed Dan Rauscher. Hope I'm saying that correctly. Who's a Saints offensive line coach from 2017 to 2020. In the past two years, he was a run game coordinator and tight ends coach. So I guess, look, here's what I'll say, Aaron. When it comes to offensive line coaches, a coach can only do so much. You can only coach up so much. You are dealt the hand. You're dealt. You can some people, and there's no coach who can turn chicken who can make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And I think not to say I think Miami has a couple players. We all know who they are. Who I don't think are just any good. I don't care who the coach is. You're not going to coach them up because you can either play in this league or you can't. And there's a couple players who've had so many starts. To me, they've proven they just can't play in this league. So Matt Applebaum was a fall guy. What are your thoughts? Well, my initial thought was just surprise because, you know, everybody talked this guy up in the preseason and everybody talked about the staff that Mike McDaniel put together. And, you know, I think he deserves credit. You know, a lot of people have, you know, said a lot of great things about Daryl Bevel and about Frank Smith. But people were talking about, you know, you know, Applebaum and how this was a, such a great hire. And, uh you know, for him to just be out after one year, uh, you know, was was very surprising to me. 
and reminiscent of, you know, what we went through just, you know, over the last few years with Brian Flores, where Brian Flores would hire an offensive coordinator, fire an offensive coordinator, hire an offensive line coach, fire an offensive line coach. Um, but I wanted to, to read a little bit about the report. So when I read it, it made a lot of sense, is particularly the line that Armando Salguero had about at one point in the season, Frank Smith was asked to help coach the offensive line because Applebaum was such a disaster. And that, when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense to hire him. And then I thought about it and I said, well, wait a minute, this is a pretty damning indictment of Mike McDaniel and his hiring process. Because if this guy was in so much over his head that it was a disaster and you had to have the offensive coordinator coming in to help him coach the offensive line. Well, why the hell was he hired in the first place? So it, it calls into question again, anytime you have a first time head coach, you're going to wonder about certain things. There's going to be certain unknowns. And one of the first things that always gets talked about is, well, can he put a staff together? And, you know, people lauded him for, for Daryl Bevel. But I think at the same, in the same vein, you have to at least acknowledge that was a bad move. That was a bad hire. If a year in the, not, not only are you firing the guy, but you're firing the guy because he was a disaster <laughs> that, that, you know, that needs to count against Mike McDaniel. And I'm not saying that it's like some huge damning thing against him, but it is one thing that you have to mark. You can't just sit here and say, oh, well, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Because every little thing that's no big deal at the end of the day, three years down the down the line, when you wonder, well, why did things go wrong? All of a sudden you start counting up the things that were no big deal. And it turns out to be a pretty big deal. No, I agree. I agree. Like, it was like this past season, all the little red flags we saw throughout the season. We're like, they won the game, but they won the game, but you're not going to get away with this against certain teams. And then when they hit that stretch where they won, what, one and six, one, seven, it's like all those little things reared its ugly head. It's like, yeah, we saw this coming. You got lucky versus Pittsburgh. It didn't hurt you. You got lucky versus the Bears. It didn't hurt you. You got lucky for this team. It didn't come back to bite you. You're playing teams like San Francisco, the Chargers, playoff teams, good teams. You can't get away with those little mistakes. And again, it's an offensive line coach. Okay, okay, but this guy, you know, prior to coming to the Dolphins, he was an offensive line coach at Boston College, Townsend, Davidson, Southeastern Louisiana. I mean, the handwriting was kind of on the wall. This guy might be in over his head. I mean, it's not, I mean, Boston College, okay, they're not a football powerhouse by any means. That's uh, so, and he did have some time in Jacksonville, Washington, but that was over 10 years ago. He was a young kid, like, not even a position coach. He was just on a staff. Um, so, but I think the bigger issue is this. After the playoff loss of the Bills, Chris Greer sat there with Mike McDaniel and when asked about the offensive line, said Austin Jackson and Liam Meikenberg are in our plans for next year. And I think for a lot of fans of the Dolphins, like I understand you're not going to cut those guys flat out. I get it. But I don't care who the offensive line coach is. If those guys are either going to start – we're not going to see improvement, okay? The light switch ain't going off. It's just not. They can't play, period. I've seen enough. I've watched enough football in this league to know they can't play. Now, if they're 
saying maybe they'll be number twos so we're going to get guys to replace them. Okay, fine. But I think I always say sometimes with teams, before you move forward, you got to open the windows and let the stink out. And some of the stink is with Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg. They just can't play. Now, I know Austin Jackson, she was hurt for a lot of the year, but whatever. Liam Eikenberg, there's enough tape out there you can watch. Where he's blocking air sometimes. He's not, he's not even near a defender. I just don't think they're any good. And until the mindset is we need to replace them and not even have them in the mix, it's good. It's like spinning your tires in the mud. You're really not going to go anywhere or improve. I don't care who the offensive line coach is. Well, the fact of the matter is they're going to be on the roster next year. And it's That's because they, they're, they're contractually tied to them. Austin Jackson, if they cut him, it's four, $4.3 million of dead cap space. If they, if they cut him, they save nothing. With Liam Eikenberg, if they, if they cut Liam Eikenberg, they save 591000 but they have they take on 1.59 million, so you're losing about a million dollars in that transaction if you if you cut Liam Meikenberg. I'll take the roster spot for a million bucks. I'll take the roster spot for a million bucks. I would not. I would not because (laughs) at the end of the day, they're still young players. And now, do I want to go into next year banking on those two guys? No, I don't want to go into next year banking on those two guys. Ideally. Those guys would be your sixth and seventh offensive linemen. And if you go in the next year and you address left guard and right tackle, and those guys are now your sixth and seventh offensive linemen, you probably need to have, you know, a backup center. I'm fine with that. That's, that's to me, that's a good offensive line. And then you, and then look, maybe the light bulb goes out. I know you're saying like, look, it's not happening. It's not happening. Um, I think both of these guys have one thing in common, and that is they're better run blockers than they are pass protectors. And I think there needs to be a little bit of a paradigm shift. Now, I we're not going to turn into some like running team. No, next year, like it's not when you're built around. Jalen Waddle and and Tyree Kill, yeah. you're not going to be a run first team. It's just not going to happen. But I think there has to be an emphasis on fixing, continuing to fix the running game. There were signs this year that there were there were moments where it looked like they, things were fixed, but at the end of the day, they just didn't block well enough. They don't have a tight end that can block. And the offensive line is still missing a couple of pieces. If they go out there and they like it to me, there's five positions on this football team that above all else need to be fixed this season. And that is they need a deep safety. They need a linebacker. They need a tight end that can block. They need a left guard and they need a right tackle. If they I'd go put out and they, right tackle number one, I put that number one actually right there. I, I I would it, to me you can throw it in any order that you like. Those five positions need to be addressed. Whether you dress them in free agency or whether you address them in the draft, they need to be addressed with players that are going to help this coming season. Because as we talked about extensively, the Dolphins are now in the winning window. The expectation is that this is a team that's going to be competing for Super Bowls. If you want to compete for Super Bowls, those five positions 
absolutely need to be addressed. And then everything else comes after. Yep. I agree on those five positions. I actually think this is just me. I think they will look to address right tackle because they know, especially with our quarterback and his, his injuries, they, they, they need a proven right tackle. I think left guard, I could see them going into camp next year with Eichenberg, Jones, Austin Jackson, may the best man win. But I think right tackle, they know they need a proven guy there because if you're going to, once again, you hit your wagon to Tua, you know the risks of everything. You better make sure his blind side is protected very, very well. So I think they will spend money on a right tackle because Lord knows Chris Greer can't draft an offensive lineman. So I think they'll spend money on a right tackle. And I think a left guard, I have less faith that they'll actually do anything because I think they'll say, well, we got these young kids. One of them will step up and they never do, but I think that's their thought process at least will be one of them will step up at left guard because why spend money on guard? We never do, but they will buy a proven right tackle. And that's what they really need to do. I think that's the number. If you, which they are, have hit your wagon to Tua, you better make sure he's on his feet and you better fix right tackle then because that's more important than almost than left tackle, right tackle, center are the three most important. And they got to, and they got two of them when he's healthy, Armstead, but right tackle. Oof, Would you bring nothing. back Brandon Shell? I I'd bring him back. I don't know if I want him to start though. He was good. He was. Now here's some stats from his offensive line. Miami only allowed 25 sacks this past year, seventh fewest in the league, and that's with a lot of games with Skylar Thompson and a lot of games. Well, not a lot of games. Well, that's a lot of games without two. I should say. <laughs> Let me phrase it that way. Seventh fewest sacks with a lot of games without Tua. Um, the Finns did have the fewest rushing attempts in the league, and the rushing yards average was ranked 23rd. But again, a lot of that's the head coach not running the ball, period. So, I, But when it comes to the sacks, seventh fewest, you know, a lot of games are the backup quarterback, so you can't say it's all two on a fast release. So, again, I don't know. We're not there every day in practice with an offensive line coach if he's good, if he's bad. But clearly there was something not connecting with the player, something not, not connecting with the rest of the staff. So they made a move. We'll see what they do. And they met with this guy for the Saints here who has experience, Dan Rauscher. And usually, usually the first guy you talk with is the guy you want. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's the guy in Miami. Where are we on time? Okay, we got time for this. Last topic is it's sort of a big picture view of this offseason and how Miami, you know, they have the roster they have, and we know they're over the cap. They're going to make moves. We know. They're going to get under the cap. We don't know how much, but they're going to get under the cap, and they're going to have some money to play with. How they allocate their resource, because this is when it comes to a general manager. Yes, you got to hit you got to hit on picks in the draft. you got to sign the right guys. But it's really where you allocate your resources and how you construct a team. And, you know, I'm not going to mince words. I'm not a huge fan of Chris Greer. Just to say it nicely. Because I think this is where he fails the most in that he doesn't allocate resources to some positions at all. And it's come back to hurt Miami over the past handful of years. But let's start at quarterbacks. I know this is a topic we've talked about off the air, on the air, and some other shows. Backup quarterback. I know everyone set, you know, is afraid with Tua and his concussions and the injuries. I get it. We're all nervous. He's our guy, but how many games are you going to give you? He'll never give you a full season. So who's the backup quarterback? Nobody really wants to go and resign Teddy Bridgewater. No one has faith in Skyler as a number two. I think you and me are on the same page in that. I'm not worried. I mean, yes, you want to sign number two quarterback, go for it. Someone else, go for it. 
But if they went into next year with Skylar Thompson as the number two quarterback, I'm not going to sit here and like cry about it or be panicked about it because essentially when you hit your wagon to two up, he's your guy. And you can say this for most teams when the starting quarterback goes down, the season's pretty much over. Yes, there's a Brock Purdy exception, not the rule. So, but with two up, you know he's more prone to get injured, more prone to concussions. So why spend a ton of money on an Andy Dalton, Mason Rudolph, Joe Flacco, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Jacoby Brissett, Tyler Henneke, when if Tua goes down, if it's any of those guys or if it's Skylar Thompson, I don't think it matters. Your thoughts? For the most part, I agree. What I'll say is I don't have any problem with the Dolphins saying we don't want Skylar Thompson to be our number two quarterback. So we want to bring in somebody that's better than Skylar Thompson. I don't know that I disagree with them on that, but I'm not breaking the bank on it. Exactly. I'm not not going out there and spending like we have the last two years on Jacoby Brissett and Teddy Bridgewater and gotten garbage results. I'm not going to go out there and spend, you know, somewhere between seven to $10 million to bring in somebody like Jimmy Garoppolo uh, or or one of those guys that you just Matt mentioned. Ryan. Matt Ryan's going to be cut. That's going to be the hot name. We got to get Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan can't play anymore. I'm not going to pay him 15 million to be a number well, two and hold a clipboard. Well, see, so so take a guy like Matt Ryan. And take a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. Do I think they're better than Skylar Thompson? Would I feel more confident for those with those guys starting a, a handful of games for me than I would Skylar Thompson? Absolutely, but. I'm not going to pay those guys what you could pay a starting linebacker or a starting safety or a starting guard or a starting tackle. Like, cause at the end of the day, if, if Tua goes down, you're probably not, those guys are probably not winning against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. So, you know, I don't know that you're necessarily getting the return on investment there. And then if, if Tua is healthy, then you're paying all that money for somebody that's not even taking a snap. That's literally doing nothing. You're literally just sinking the cost in there. And, you know, people will say, you know, when you look at the look around the league and you say, well, what team wins when they lose their starting quarterback. And everybody says, well, Brock Purdy, look at what Brock Purdy did. And I would say this, there's a reason why Brock Purdy did what Brock Purdy did. It's because he has a defense and he has a running game. If you put a defense out there and you put a running game out there, I think you could probably win with Skylar Thompson. And if, if you don't want it to be Skylar Thompson, then it could be who Marcus Mariota, Gardner Minshew, Whoever it is, you know, some of the guys that you mentioned, they're not going to be like, they're not going to be, you know, commanding a huge contract. Like if the Dolphins want to go out and spend three, three million dollars to bring in a backup quarterback, that's better than. Oh, that's fine. I'm fine. But, but when you get into that six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollar range, and I understand that people will say, well, you're saving money on the position anyway because Tua's on a rookie deal, and you could even keep Skylar Thompson because he's making less than a million dollars, and then you could bring in a guy and spend $10 million, and you still are only spending like $19 million on the quarterback position. And I get that, and that's all well and good. But 
if you could spend $10 million less and spend that money on a linebacker and a safety, I would rather do that than spend a bunch of money on a guy that when all is said and done for your team to be at their absolute best requires that guy not even taking a snap. I don't want to spend big money on that. We've seen them spend big money the last two years on Jacoby Brissett and on Teddy Bridgewater, and it has fallen, they've fallen flat on their face. And I think it's worth noting that Jacoby Brissett, for as bad as he was with the Dolphins, he wasn't a world beater, but he wasn't bad. He was adequate is the right word. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. All of these guys, there's a reason why they're backup quarterbacks because they are, by definition, replacement level. And so when you see a backup quarterback playing well, it's not because, I mean, occasionally you're going to get a rookie that gets an opportunity and he surpasses expectations. That's going to happen from time to time. But by and large, when when a backup quarterback plays well, it's because he's a function of the of the players around him stepping up. He has a good running game. He's got a good defense, and he's not asked to do too much, and things are easier for him. If Brock Purdy was here with the Miami Dolphins and was asked to drop back 40 times with no pass protection he's and virtually no running, yeah, he, he's another seventh-round rookie quarterback. That's right. Exactly. He's Skylar Thompson. So I'm with you. You know, if people like, we got to get rid of Teddy Bridgewater. I'm like, if he wants to stay for half the money or a third of the money, oh, he can stay because well, he, is he any better or worse than most of these guys? One thing I'll say about the backup quarterback and the reason why I would keep Skylar Thompson over a guy like Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, I would too. Is that we can't have what we had this season where – the, the game plan hurt. is put in place for yeah. uh, for a quarterback. He gets out, and then you have another quarterback comes in, and he's got a completely different skill set. So you don't know yeah. what you're what you're doing. Yeah, there's yeah. got to be some congruency there with you know your starter, your backup, and if they want to hold on to three quarterbacks, I don't have a problem with that. Me neither. But all three need to have a similar skill set and fit with the scheme that they're trying to run. Yeah, and. Yeah, and if you talk about this topic, we're on the same page. It doesn't even matter who, per se. It's just don't spend $9, $10 million on a guy who, A, you hope never plays, and B, if he has to play. Once again, you might pull an upset one week over a good quarterback, but in a big game, in a big spot, you know, they're not beating Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence, Watson, Lamar. It's not happening. So maybe they can pull out one upset one week, but to think you're going to win consistently with that type of guy – you know, unless you have a San Francisco type roster, which again we don't have, and I don't know if we'll have that heading into next year or next year, seems unlikely. So I would, so here we're on the same page. Just you can save a little money with number two quarterback and not pay one ten million bucks. So where would that money go? You're saving. We've set some some spots. I think running back. Let's sort of dive into this a little bit here. Once again, we're riding with two in 2023. That's reality for us right now. How do you make his life easier? Well, here's how you make his life easier. Don't let him drop back to pass where there's more opportunities for him to get hit. You run the ball better. And how do you run the ball better? You fix the offensive line. We spoke about left guard, right tackle. We know some help there. But running back as well, you know, I think we're all under the assumption um, Miami's going to resign Wilson and Mostert, and they very well might, and that's fine and dandy. But let's just say this. It's not against the rules 
They want to sign someone else and pay him a little money. It's not against the rules to draft a running back in round two or three. I know Chris Greer has kind of never done this. There's been reports he's wanted to a couple times. Reports he wanted Travis Etienne a couple years ago in round one. He went before. There was the uh, running back they wanted. um, Yeah, and stuff like that. So there's been rumors that he's tried to. It's just never worked out. It's okay to invest in a good running back because, again, Running game travels in cold weather and snow, deep in. So if you want to win the playoffs, you're going to be playoff. They will be in playoff games outside in the cold. That stuff travels, and it, let's help your quarterback, who we know is a little bit injury prone, who has the concussion stuff. So I would invest more in running backs, guys like Miles Gaskin. I don't need to see him back here. Salvin Ahmed, nice player, fine. I don't need to see him back here. Whatever they do with Mostert and Wilson, fine. But there's a lot of free agent veteran running backs this year. So yeah, it's going to cost some money, but that's okay. That's okay. Or use a pick in round two or three, as there's always some good running backs in the draft. What are your thoughts on maybe investing more in the running game? We already spoke about offensive line, so not so much there, because we know what we are looking at there. Um, personally, look, do I want them to eventually at some point get uh, – you know, a, a, an upgrade in that room. Like, would I love to have that guy, like a Christian McCaffrey? Would I love to have that guy? Sure. But I don't want to pay for it. And I don't think you have to pay for it. And and frankly, when I look at the numbers and I look at what, the, and not just the numbers, but the way they played throughout the season, I think you're fine with considering everything with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. I, I think you're fine there. Even Savan Ahmed. As, now, like, I, I think you you owe, I think you do yourself a disservice if you don't try to upgrade that room. But again, I'm not spending big money on that because I think by and large, the running back position is a product of the offense. It's a product of the blocking. And I think you've got enough talent there that you can be productive running the football. If you just, you know, commit to it and you block a little bit better. I think having a tight end in this offense that can block would go a long way and obviously upgrades at those two offensive line positions that we mentioned. But here's the thing. People don't realize this. Everybody, because like they look at like the, you know, the total number of yards and then they they look at the names and they're not big names. But at the end of the day, the Dolphins three the Dolphins' top three running backs last year, Raheem Mostert, Jeff, Willis, Jeff Wilson Jr., and Savan Ahmed. Raheem Mostert, 4.9 yards per carry in the regular season. Jeff Wilson Jr., 4.7 yards per carry with the Dolphins last season. Savan Ahmed, 5.3 yards per carry. It wasn't always consistent. And that had more to do with the blocking. Sure, some of it has to do with the fact that these guys aren't Pro Bowl level level running backs, but it's not like these guys were going out there and and being completely un, you know non productive. I'm not going out there. I'm I'm definitely not spending big money on a free agent running back. Now, no, you want to draft somebody in day two with one of those picks because he's got a high upside. I got no problem with that as long as those other positions have been addressed first. Because at the end of the day. Running back is a luxury position in this league. 
Look at who is in the Super Bowl right now. The Philadelphia Eagles are doing it with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott, and the Kansas City Chiefs are doing it with Isaiah Pacheco. You do not need to have a high-profile running back to have a successful offense or even a successful running game. You need to block well. You need to have an offense that in some capacity is committed to it. And you need to have serviceable running backs. I think the Dolphins have serviceable running backs. If they want to find somebody in the draft that fits what they want to do and they think that they're an upgrade, more power to them. I have no problem with it. But I get, I think spending big money, if I had, let me put it this way, $7 million going rate for like the high end of a backup quarterback. Also, yeah, like probably about what you would spend on free agency for a running back. Yeah, I would spend that on a backup quarterback before I spend it on a running back. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, we did it last year. How did the yeah, whole? How did Chase Edmonds work out? Yeah, I, I know, I know, but yeah, I'm with. I just think I'm with you on this. I am with you, and I think actually the sweet spot for most running backs we've seen in the draft in recent years is that second, third, fourth round. You find someone there, you can get capable guys there who can contribute early. And within a year or two, become kind of big time players. That's where I'm more looking. But right now, I don't believe we have any running backs under contract next year. So if they do resign Wilson, who I think they should because they trade a fifth round pick, you might as well have him for more than a handful of games for a fifth round pick. You know, might as well you might as well resign him and get some more value out of that. Oh, and Mostert had a nice year. He didn't miss a playoff game, but it is what it is. Um, if they resign those two, and if they took someone in round three, I'm good. But because our quarterback misses so many games, we need – one, it comes down to the head coach has to not abandon the run as quickly as he usually does. That's number one, especially in the game on the road versus the Bills. I'm sitting next to your brother. We were swearing in that fourth quarter because he run the ball for 187 yards in fourth quarter. You just stop running the ball. Part of it's that. The other part of it is I just think we need more of a consistent running game. And, yes, offensive line goes into it, play calling goes into it. But we got to help this quarterback every way because we're not going to win by having him drop back 30, 40 times. If that means we got to spend a little bit more, a little within reason, folks. Within re- we're not going to, I'm not calling for Saquon Barkley. I'm not calling for Josh Jacobs and breaking the bank. I'm just saying if you want to get someone who's underneath that, but a little bit above Wilson and Mostert, I'm okay with it, whoever that person is. I'm okay because we got to make this offense. We have to insulate our quarterback, essentially, to prevent him from being hurt. And that means running the ball more and having more of a consistent running game. But if they bring back Wilson to Mostert, that's fine. But I do think they need a third body in that room. Because with Mostert, he has a history of missing games. We know that. And, yeah, I just think that's one area that we need to address, especially with two at quarterback. Yeah, well, I'll say this. When it comes to running back, like, if the Dolphins really wanted to throw their hat into, like, the the Saquon Barkley ring mm. or the you know the Josh Jacobs ring those guys are special players and so i don't have any problem with that the problem the the problem there becomes allocate allocation like, of resources yeah allocation of resources because you don't because this isn't a team without holes if the dolphins were in a situation where they had all of their other holes addressed then it's different. And yeah. then you and then you can say, well, let's 
throw Saquon Barkley into this roster. I'll be like, yeah, give him whatever the hell he wants because he's the missing piece. And that's typically the thing with when it comes to running backs. And that's why I'd say it's a luxury. You can win without a running back and you you really don't need, it's been shown year after year after year, you yeah. really don't need to have a great running back to win. But if it's the missing piece, then okay, I'm all for it. But I don't think it's the missing piece because you can bring in a if because if you bring in a Saquon Barkley, but you're but you don't address the offensive line, the offensive line is still an issue. Well, that's going to affect Saquon Bar- Barkley's exactly. production, yeah. and you're taking resources away from you know potentially having a better defense. Which in the grand scheme of things, having a better offensive line and a better defense, those are the two things that should be the focus of the Dolphins this offseason. They can get by with what they've got at running back. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they're able to resign them. Cause right now those guys aren't. So yeah. And I think those guys are probably going to want to be here with Mike McDaniel. Cause one, they worked with him in San Francisco. They worked with him this year. They had success with him this year when he did run the ball. So hopefully they want to be in Miami, but we'll see what they do at running back other areas. Corner. We don't know what's going to go on with Jones. Um, it's so interesting. Cause Howard makes big money. Jones took that pay cut. He still makes big money. You invested a first round pick in, Noah Ibanagani, Nick Needham. I think he's a free agent this year. Um, I don't know what you do at corner. If they move on from Jones, it answers a lot. Cater Kohu is a nice little surprise that would help soften any blow. I don't know if you want to go in with him as your number two corner for a full season. If you don't have to, maybe as a guy's number three, maybe a better suited for that. And we'll see what they do with the resources at corner because I do think they can afford to lose a corner. I think either Jones or Needham, but whatever they save, then maybe find another safety because that's where they could use some help there. Because Eric Rowe, Eric Rowe's fine, but I'm not sure how many more years. I don't know if you want to go back with him and Jones. I mean, Holland's not going anywhere. The other Jones ain't going nowhere. I don't know if Rowe needs to be in that mix either. Uh, yeah, well, the thing with Rowe, I think Rowe – had an underrated season. He was a guy that a lot of people were talking about would be a cap casualty. A lot of, you know, he was very, a guy seen as very expendable coming into the, coming into training camp. And then when Trill Williams went down, then everybody said, well, now we, we've got to hang on to Roe. And obviously Roe got surpassed in this defense by Brandon Jones and he was starting to be phased out. But then when Brandon Jones got hurt, Eric, he, you, you needed to have Eric Rowe. And I thought Eric Rowe played admirable, admirably for who Eric Rowe is. The thing is, you're probably not going to want to bring him back at like $5.86 million, yep, whatever he made th- this year. So he's going to need to take a pay cut. So is he going to be willing to do that? Or is he going to be, is he going to get paid? So like, I would love to bring Eric Rowe back for half of that, but I don't know. That Absolutely. He can. I, don't I don't know, know if he, he can, can either. Um, Byron Jones, I think, is the first domino that they've got to figure out because if they do move on from Byron Jones and they, if they cut him after after June 1st, they save a considerable amount of money. After June 1st, they would save on, on Byron Jones roughly $13 million worth of cap space. Lot, um, so, yeah. so it's 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 not a, you know... You know, he, he's due a lot of money. You're not going to cut him or trade him before June 1st. But if you decide that you that you want to move on from him and you want to you want to free up the cap space, then you can do that. 
uh, after June 1st and you can save a, a, a ton of money on him. But because you're, you can't really do that until after June 1st, your well, hands are tight. Not, you're not really going to be freeing up that cap space to spend it elsewhere when big money free agency hits. So I think what you're going to do is you're going to keep Byron Jones on the roster and you're going to kind of look around and you're going to say, well, who else is available and who can we get cheap if we do make a move like this? And I think that's where I, I think at, I think when it comes to the moves that the Dolphins are going to make in free agency, they're going to be doing some restructures. I think they'll probably make one big move on the defensive side of the ball in free agency one big move on the offensive side of the ball in free agency. And then it's going to be the kind of under the radar guys. Who are the guys that get looked over in that initial free agency period? Who are the guys that are the post June 1st cuts that become available where you can get a cornerback like Philadelphia got in Bradbury, uh, who they they're paying like one and a half million dollars for. Uh, if, so if you if if that becomes available and you see a suitable replacement, then I'm fine with that. But I'm also fine with keeping Byron Jones on the roster, and then, you know, jettisoning a guy like Nick Needham. Who, yeah, Nick Needham is fine, but you're playing a completely different defensive scheme, and he's coming off of an ACL injury. I don't need to bring back Nick. I don't need to spend three or four million dollars on Nick Needham if I feel like Cater Kohu can do his job for, you know, what, like a fifth of the cost, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. or uh, even, you know, you know, Trill Williams potentially. So I, I think at corner it, it, that that's going to be a really intriguing thing to see how they figure it out between Byron Jones, Nick Needham, Cater Kohu. Um, and, and we'll just have to kind of wait and see on that. And, and frankly, I not to not to come full circle or anything, but hey, it's Vic Fangio's defense now. Let the man decide. Right. Let him look exactly. at the tape. Let him look at yeah. these players and let him make the decision. I mean, that's what so, Chris Greer is all about anyway. He's all about passing the buck so that he doesn't yeah. get the blame. He exactly. lets the coach make the decision so that like at the end of the day, the coach can get fired, but he stays, but he saves his job. Yeah. I brought the guy in. I don't know why he can't coach him up. This guy can play. It's not my fault he can't coach him up. I don't know. Hey, Brian um, Flores wanted Nick Noig Benogany. Yeah, Brian exactly. Flores wasn't me. Wasn't me. Um, here's the thing I'll say. If they – here's a sign to me. If they re-sign Nick Needham, it tells me I think Jones might be gone in that. Now you go in the air with Howard, Needham, Cater Kohu, Trill Williams. I think that would leave Byron Jones and that man. Now, if they don't re-sign Nick Needham – then I think they're playing that game of, well, we'll hold on to Byron. Let's see how, how things sort of shake out. But I think if they resign Needham, I think then we see Byron Jones be jettisoned um, with that post-June 1st, open up yeah. the cap space after June 1st, which sets them up nice for the following year, which they might need to be set up nice that following year because, God forbid, our quarterback gets hurt. They're going to be in the market for a quarterback, and they're going to need all the cap space they can get heading in 2024. So that might be some logic there. Last position, tight ends. Because I think we can all agree Mike Gasecki's probably gone. Durham Smythe, I don't know what they're going to do. Gone. Yeah, I know, he's gone. I'm trying to be nice because there's, there's a few fans who like this guy. I mean, I like him too, but he just doesn't fit. Um, he's gone. Seathan Carter, he's, <laughs> he's still in the concussion protocol, actually. He's going to be gone. Um, Smythe, I don't know. Hunter Long has given us nothing as a third-round pick at all. This is a room where I could see – 
a total house cleaning and three or four new faces next year. I'm not saying high price, guys. I'm just saying three or four new faces because I don't know if there's one of those guys worth holding on to if you're the Miami Dolphins. Smite's probably the best, but if they let him go, who cares? It's like, Yeah. I mean, Kasiki is gone for sure. Seathan Carter, you're saving $2.3 million to cut him, and you're not getting Bye-bye. anything for him. Um, Durham Smythe is interesting because you can you can get out of that contract and you can save, you know, $3.4 million worth of cap savings and you only carry, you know, 750000 of dead cap. So you're essentially saving $2.7 million by cutting him. The, the, the question there is, are you going to, you know, would you is he worth it to keep at that at that price? Yeah, and you I would say, play tight end. <laughs> and I would and play. I would say with the uncertainty there, with not knowing what you've got really in Hunter Long, I would I would kind of err more on the side of con- caution with Durham Smythe and say, hey, look, this is a serviceable player. We're not asking him to do a whole lot. We're probably going to move on from him next year. So I would keep Durham Smythe. You're going to keep Hunter Long. And then you've got to bring in somebody that's going to be able to block. That's going to be able. I think one rookie, and one it doesn't bet. need one to rookie, be. One bet. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be a one rookie and one vet. Because the thing is with tight ends, historically, they're not ready to go out of college, especially, a, you know, a tight end that you're not drafting in the first round. But the cool thing about this offense and the type of tight end that we need is we don't need Kyle Pitts. We don't need Tony Gonzalez. We don't need, you know, uh, some, some high flying. We don't need a Mike Kosicki. That's what you saw what you had when you had a Mike Kosicki. It doesn't fit in this offense. You need a blocking tight end. The cool thing about blocking tight ends, you, you could find them pretty cheap. You could, you could find a tight end that can block for a couple million dollars. It's just, you're going to have to kind of, you're not going to have that dynamic. You're not going to have the, the George Kittle, you know, that, that we're all hoping for that everyone, when everybody thinks of Mike McDaniel's offense and they think back to San Francisco, they think to Kittle, you know, having a tight end that can both block and be a a weapon in the passing game. You're not really going to have that at this year, but that's okay because you've got Tyreek Hill and you've got Jalen Waddle. So you don't really need your tight end to be, you know, massively productive in the passing game. You need your tight end to be able to block. So as long six as they get in a lineman. really good, he's going to be the sixth offensive lineman. Yeah. And then again, luxury down the road, yep. same as a running back. You know, when you got all those other positions filled and then you're in the draft and and you can look at the first round and you can say, well, we need to take the best player available. And there's a tight end that can do everything. That's where you take your tight end that can do everything. Yeah. Uh, Last one real quick. And wide receiver. And I only mentioned this with two names in mind, Cedric Wilson, Trent Shearfield, Trent Shearfield's contracts up. Cedric Wilson, we signed to a multi-year deal. Do you, I think if they could move on from Cedric Wilson, they'd love to. I don't know how easy that's going to be. And are you interested in bringing back Trent Shearfield, who's going to want to bump and pay? He had a nice little year. Or are you thinking Eric Izakama, who's only active for one game, but lit up in the preseason, which I know means nothing. 
Um, or would you maybe look to say, Trent Shearfield, don't need you. Slide Eric, who's a common to that role, hopefully. And because they got a ton of money tied up in a wide receiver, a ton of assets. You got a guy pick number six overall. You got a guy who was like one of the highest paid wide receivers in the league. I don't know if he's still number one. If not, then he's like ranked number two or three, whatever he is in Hill. Do we need to – we got Cedric Wilson making halfway decent money. Do we really need to pay Trent Shearfield, even if it's a slight bump, a bump as well? Or can we got Eric Uzakama. He can fill that role. Trent, thanks for the one year. Bye. Well, you're, you're definitely moving on from Cedric Wilson, and you're going to trade him. If you trade him pre-June first, yeah. you, you save $6 million in cap space. You have $2, $2 million in dead cap, so you're really saving $4 million. Four. That's $4 million That's that you can spend elsewhere. Um Eric Azukama, you would hope, is going to see in that role. A, a, you know, a, a bigger role. But I liked what I saw out of Trent Sherfield this year. Me too. So, to me, I'd love to have Trent Sherfield back. But again, it just comes down to what the price tag is. Like, yeah. did Trent Sherfield do enough this year to get another team's attention that they want to give him, you know, a Cedric Wilson type of contract? If so... Bye bye. Let him let him yeah. have it because he because we we already seen in this offense the offense is built to have Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill get the lion's share of the targets. So you're not going to overspend at the wide receiver position. But if you could bring Trent Sherfield back for a few million dollars, like two three million dollars, to be your third wide receiver, and that way you're not necessarily banking on Eric Azukama, but Eric Azukama now is like becomes another option there and you know if he should step up and and play well then and he surpasses Trent Sherfield great that's an awesome situation to be in but if he doesn't that's okay because you still have Trent Sherfield um so that that's kind of where I'm at with with Trent Sherfield because if you let if you because if you trade Cedric Wilson and you let Trent Sherfield walk now you have a depth issue at wide receiver. True. Now I thought I like enough of what I've seen out of like River Craycraft that if we ran into that situation, I would sign Eric Craycraft to a small deal to ensure that at least you have somebody else that's been familiar with the system that's shown that they can produce at, at some sort of level at with this offense. Uh, but I don't want to put myself in a situation where now we have to reach to fill roster spots at wide receiver. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. want to, yes, I don't want to do that needlessly. So, and that, and that's going to factor into the decision again with Cedric Wilson, but I just don't see how you can spend money. Like I would take, I don't care if it's a sixth round. I'm with pick. You. I, I, I'm I would with trade, you. I would trade Cedric Wilson for a sixth round pick and take the cap savings because it's just, yeah, I am right there with you there. there, there there's I am right there with you. There. I'm right there with you when it comes to that because let's be honest, it's the Hill and Waddle show. They caught the vast majority of the passes, and that ain't changing next year. So a Trent Shearfield, who outside of one play that dropped touchdown versus the Bills on that second game, outside of that was fantastic. Um, I'd love to have him back, but I'm also not breaking the bank for him because I know Hill and Waddle is where it's at, and we can find someone else. And it'll be an interesting offseason. And I do say this here as we wrap up. The Melvin Ingram signing we saw last year, Melvin was okay. He wasn't great. wasn't awful. I think this year I could see Greer doing a, a couple more signings like that. Veteran player, one-year deal, not a ton of money. 
just be a role player, that veteran to fill a spot. Now, you, you can't get that at every position. You, you're not going to get that at, like, offensive line, obviously. But if there's a vet, I don't know, tight end guy like that, someone you're not asking to do a ton, uh, maybe even a corner, someone you're not, gonna, not wanting to start but can play a good 20 snaps a game, 20. So, so I think that type of move, I wouldn't be shocked if we see a couple more because that Inger one wasn't a home run, but it was a solid double, solid double of a signing, I thought, with the Ingram signing in. Wasn't a lot of money, and I actually think he'll be back next year too. I, I think they'll give him another year um, because Vic Fangio is going to want pass rushers, and you know the more the merrier. Yeah, definitely, and I think it'll be interesting to see the decision that gets made because I, I, I think if you're gonna be you're you're gonna need some depth there at pass rusher. We'll see if they trade because another trade candidate is Emmanuel Ogba, uh, but you're not gonna do anything with him until after June first, um, or you can go into the year. I, I would tend to go into the year with with Emmanuel Ogba because my thought is. You're trying to win this year. Win you need games. all the all, all good the guys. Yeah, you need all the good all the good players that you can get. Yeah. And I think having him as a depth piece there, I think makes a lot of sense, especially if you're going to be running any three four, um, because you know he can set the edge. He could be a good run defender for Got you. Length. Yeah. Um. So it'll it'll be interesting uh, to see between Melvin Ingram, Duke Riley, Andrew Van Ginkle. Those Same three guys are, are free agents. I think yeah. Duke Riley, to me, of the three, is the one guy, the given the given the price tag and what we're looking for, I think he fits what we're looking for as a sub package linebacker that's gonna be in that's gonna be uh in coverage and and kind of gives you insurance for if Channing Tindall doesn't develop. Because you know yeah. that Duke Riley at the very least can be a decent linebacker. Um, and then I think they have to make a decision between Andrew Van Ginkle and then like a Melvin Ingram, and it might just come down to money. But if you're, it, I'm not sold that they're necessarily going to do three, four, they're going to do four down. Like, are they going to put their end, are their ends going to have their hands in the dirt or are they not? Cause ultimately at that, with, with that, if, if you're going to be asking your, your edge to be more of a pass rusher and less of a drop back in coverage, then I'm taking Melvin Ingram all day and twice on Friday over an Andrew Van Ginkle. Yeah. Um, but if it's got to be more of a linebacker role, like play a little bit more in coverage and in space, then obviously Andrew Van Ginkle would be the guy if all things are equal. And I think money-wise, they're probably going to be right around the same. And honestly, yeah. the more I, the more I think about that, if I, if I if the money is about the same, there's no way I'm taking. And there's no world in which I'm taking Andrew Van Ginkle over Melvin Ingram. Well, it is now. When it comes to the Miami Dolphins on defense, we are living in Victor McFangio's world. Yes, that's his full name, Victor McFangio. We're all just living in it, and he's going to make these calls and decisions. We'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks and months, but. There's been so much news the past week with Vic Fangio, and we think, we hope, that story is kind of settled. Until pen to paper, I guess it's not, but I think there's enough confirmation now that that story is settled. Vic Fangio coming to Miami, Matt Applebaum, gone. We'll see what happens there. The Tua, you know, he's here for 2023. We'll see fifth-year option. I'm sure we'll do a lot of shows on that as the offseason goes on. Last thing, Eagles-Chiefs, what's your prediction for the Super Bowl? Who's winning? 
I got the Chiefs. Yeah, I think it's a close game. I got the Eagles only because since week one till now, they have caught every break. Every ball bounce has gone their way. Sometimes a team is just blessed in a given year. The Eagles, even in the NFC title game, Brock Purdy getting injured, and so they got the other quarterback. Like, they just catch every break this year. And sometimes you just don't question stuff. A team is a team of fate. I think it's a close game, probably a field goal type game. I think it's going to be a really good game. I just think this is the Eagles' year. I just think it's the Eagles' year, and I think the Eagles win a close one, but it could go either way. These are two teams I think are somewhat evenly matched. You know, Mahomes is going to be motivated to get that second one. He is one and one in Super Bowls, so he's going to come out motivated, but – yeah, this should be a very good game. So, Aaron, thank you for joining me tonight on the show. We hope your brother Josh is feeling better. He was supposed to join us as well, but he's a little under the weather, your brother Josh. He was supposed to join us, but I uh, hope he's feeling better. Everyone, check out the website, DolphinsTalk.com, for all the latest Miami Dolphins news, rumors, podcast information. Also, we have a contest where you can win a Tua bobblehead doll. It's a Tua Nickelodeon Slime time bobblehead. Only 102 were made. All the details are up on our website at dolphinstalk.com. And it's also on my Twitter feed at dolphinstalk. Check it out there. And it takes two seconds to enter. It's free. You have nothing to lose. And you might want a very rare tool bobblehead. Still in the box, mint condition, all that good stuff. Aaron, tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter. Can find me on Twitter, tweeting about the dolphins, tweeting about RuPaul's drag race, tweeting about the all the Real Housewives franchises. If you're not watching the Bravo Real Housewives of Miami, which, by the way, that's exactly what I'm going to be watching. I don't have to watch one of these shows to get into this. I I don't know. All right. So if you're going to watch the Housewives. Please tell me which one. Potomac and Miami right now are at the top. Miami is having a special season. Potomac has been very good for a few years now, but Miami is having a very good season. Um but you cannot go wrong with RuPaul's Drag Race. I'll say this about RuPaul's Drag Race thus far this season. Nobody's really wowing me thus far, but go watch season four. If you've never watched RuPaul's Drag Race. Never watched one episode ever. Never. Watch season 14, which was the season prior to this season. Watch season 14. Lots of drama? Just entertainment. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to have to give one... Because right now, here's the deal. After the Super Bowl, like, I, I don't watch the NBA. And, and I know people, how do you not? I just don't like the NBA. Call me crazy. I don't like the NBA. And college basketball, like, 15 years ago, I loved it. Nowadays, it's like, well, the money involved and the guys come for a year, leave. I fell out of love with college hoops as well. I watch hockey, but there's really not much on now that football, college, and pros over. So I need to find shows like this to become invested into and get like hooked on so i'm looking for this type of stuff i i am watching a show on showtime it's season two just started called your honor with brian cranston if you're not watching the show on showtime your honor season one was only 10 episodes last year they're only on episode three or four this year outstanding show on showtime your honor that's my recommendation for that and did you see who we lost? Because I know you're a fan of pro wrestling. Did you see who we lost today? Passed I away. Did, I did not. Leaping Lanny Poffo, the genius, oh. passed away today at 68 years old. I thought he was one of the more entertaining characters back in the day uh, with his little rhymes and his little poems he'd say before 
his matches, but Leaping Lanny Poffel, the brother of the Macho Man, there you go, Randy yeah. Savage, uh, passed away today at 68 years old. Very sad. The news was broke. The news was broke on social media by the one and only Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, oh, USA. Yeah, so Leaping Lanny, may you rest in peace. Big fan. But thank you all for listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast. We'll have more shows up. Um, when news breaks, we're going to be doing shows. I have an interview coming up with an author who wrote a book on spies and espionage among the NFL. We've had him on before. His name is Kevin Bright. Probably we'll have a show with him this weekend talking about some espionage and what some teams have done Super Bowl week to sort of spy on the opponents. We obviously talk about the Patriots, Rams, one of the most famous, but there's been other ones, and his book is just so interesting on what some teams and coaches have done over the years in the NFL. So be on the lookout for that podcast this week. Everyone have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again after a while. And, folks, don't forget, we must put an end to highway profanity. Thank you for listening to the DolphinsTalk.com podcast. Be sure to visit DolphinsTalk.com every day for all of your latest Miami Dolphins news.